I was minding my own business this morning when a hacker came along and stole my data from the unsecured public network. Gee, I wish there was some way to prevent that from happening. All you need is ExpressVPN. A VPN, or virtual private network, encrypts your data so the bad guys can't steal it. Wow! Have you ever heard of dynamic pricing? What's that? Online retailers charge you more based on where you live. With ExpressVPN, you can appear anywhere you want and get the best deal. That's my favorite kind of deal. What else can ExpressVPN do for me? You can get access to streaming content that's normally blocked in your region. Could I even use it to get past restrictions on work or school networks? Yes, all you have to do is use the ExpressVPN app on your device. You can even use it on your router. That's right. Just go to expressvpn.com forward slash capital A, capital C, capital P for a special offer and get three months free when you sign up for one year of service. What a deal. Thanks, Thanks ExpressVPN. Express That's expressvpn.com forward slash capital ACP. It's time for the Alien Conspiracy Podcast. We are your hosts, Agent ETA and Agent Anderson. Come along as we examine UFO sightings, conspiracies, and all things strange. You can follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. We also have an email address, AlienConPod at ProtonMail.com. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget to check us out on other social media platforms such as Discord. This week's episode, Foo Fighters. Not to be confused with the band. So if you're showing up here because you think we got some kind of hot interview with Dave Grohl, sorry guys, this is about the UFO that the band actually is named after. The UFO sighting. So <laughs> that would be awesome. That would, yeah. Hey, <laughs> I wouldn't if, turn that down. If that's you for want, sure. But he wants to come on our show. I'm not turning him down. I, I got, I got the nasty COVID right now. So I'm a little low on the energy, <laughs> but the show must go on. So, anyways, here we go. So, as I said, this is not the band, but the UFOs. This was a general, the Foo Fighters was a general term used for UFOs during World War II. Now, World War II, just to remind everybody, was between 1939 and 1945. And when I saw that, considering just how um, important of a war, uh, war it was in the history of the world, uh, you know, particularly Europe, obviously, they, the years, I was like, wow, that seems like a really short war by today's standards, because we have like these protracted conflicts that go on for decades now but it was man what what a crazy war that was anyway so the general description of the foo fighters that people reported were red orange or green spheres usually the size of a basketball but some people reported them to be much larger they flew along with aircraft or chased the aircraft some uh <clears throat> some were seen individually or in groups up to 10, and sometimes they flew in formation. They were able to outmaneuver aircraft that tried to intercept them. They could keep pace or outrun, 
or they could shoot straight up into the air, do um, erratic maneuvers, um, or, you know, whatever, like any, anything you can imagine a UFO doing, these things were pretty much reported as doing as far as flight maneuvers go. They never showed up on radar, at least not that I could find, but I wanted to, this is one of the things I wanted to try and dig a little deeper to find out because even though I didn't find it, doesn't mean that there's not some sort of report hidden somewhere in some kind of archive of like yeah. a radar contact, but I couldn't find it for this episode. I, I didn't. I didn't find any any evidence towards that either, but obviously, like this issue was like something that was a big issue for for multiple governments, not just like America, but also you know the like the you know the British government as well. They chose to put a lot of effort into researching or, or investigating this because they were they they seemed to be very worried about it at the time, especially like in 1944 when some of the well, it wasn't the first experiences that happened like the first encounters that people described but that's when it it became more obvious i guess you could say like there was more reports of, of these experiences happening um and they they chose to put effort into investigating this and uh they were worried about it because they thought it could be like a a, a secret a secret like german weapon or something like that you know like a a wonder weapon whatever the term you want to use you know Right, that's something yeah. that was uh, much more advanced than what, as as far as what they were doing, and they they were very worried. Both of our governments, well, multiple governments, you know, not just, but anyways, um, they thought this if this is something that is like technology being used against us, then we better worry about it. And they put the effort into like doing the investigations. They they were worried about it, you know. Um, fortunately, I guess you could say, uh, you know. Uh, a lot of these, a lot of these sightings, like it was just like a, like a ball of light that was following the plane and it wasn't something that was attacking the plane, which was obviously very good for these pilots, you know, <laughs> but, but like, uh, um, I, I actually kind of find the name Foo Fighters very funny. Like it, it's, it's kind of ridiculous in a way. Also where, like where it came from, right? Like, right. like the, the name Foo Fighters came from a comic book. Um, called Smokey Stover, and Smokey Stover was a fireman, and that's the reason why he had the saying that he did. Uh, and the saying that the the Foo Fighter name came from was, "Where where there's a Foo, there's a fire." Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if that's a direct quote. I, I think that, I think that's pretty much what the uh, pretty pretty direct. I think, but like yeah, uh, that was that's a, yeah, yeah, that's that was a, a catchphrase of the character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, I find that kind of funny because the story kind of goes that like one of the pilots that had observed this this uh, this kind of sighting uh, was talking to a uh, uh, was it a CIA member or some somebody who was like an investigator or something like that I forget the story exactly no okay like, so uh, yeah, and he happened to have I got like, I got notes on this one so you're talking yeah, about fill us in, dude the 415th Night Fighter Squadron on November 27th 1944. Yes. Donald Myers, who was a huge fan of Holman's comics, and that Holman yeah. is the guy who did the comics, who, you know, the catchphrase is from. So let, let's, well, let's see. So the specific name of the comics, um, did I write down the name of the comics? Let's see. Check my notes here. Uh, I thought, yeah, Bill, Hall, Bill Holman, that was his name. And his comic was Smokey yeah. Stover Strip. I don't know. Did you say that? I can't remember. 
But well, I said Smokey Stover. But yeah, 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 yeah. So that was yeah, that was the character. Smokey Stover was the character. Yeah, that was the character's yeah. catchphrase. So what happened was the uh, on uh, November twenty seventh, nineteen forty four. Donald Myers, who was a fan of the comics, and a pilot named Ed Schleuder saw eight to ten red balls of fire off of their left wing. Uh, Some versions of the story say that they only saw one and that it chased them around. Others, but I mean, this is, like I said, I didn't have time, unfortunately, to find all of the source documents for all of these stories, because there's quite a lot. But uh, whichever version... Um, they, uh, the pilots, you know, they turned towards the lights or they maneuvered with them and the lights disappeared, but they came back later. Um, during, there was a debriefing where they were being interviewed after they got back from their mission. Myers was agitated during the debriefing and he pulled out the comic that he had in his back pocket, slammed it down on the table and said, it was another one of those fucking Foo Fighters. Yeah. And, and, you know, I find that funny because yeah. that, that was actually the original name. Yeah, that was, was fucking Foo Fighters. Right. But they decided to clean it up a little bit <laughs> to yeah. make it more uh, digestible to the public, you know? <laughs> well, that's what that's what a lot of people in the military called them. They referred to them as fucking Foo Fighters. That was the official name. Uh-huh. Or official, unofficial official name, however you want to say it. But yeah. when it was reported <laughs> by the media, the media shortened that to just Foo Fighters. So this is probably the only case I can think of where the term coined or modified by a journalist is actually worse than the one actually used by the witnesses. Because usually journalists are really good at coining creative terms to make something sound more interesting than it is, you know? Um, for example... You know, the Kenneth Arnold sightings, the flying saucer, that term was created by a journalist. Uh, Kenneth Arnold did not call them flying saucers, just as a perfect example. But in this case, it's actually worse than what the witnesses were calling it. Because <laughs> I think fucking Foo Fighters is way better than Foo Fighters, in my, in my I, opinion. I, I would prefer, I, I prefer that name, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, well, one, and it also it also kind of like 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 speaks to the frustration that some of these pilots had with the encounters too, like and like luckily for these pilots, like I said earlier, like like they weren't getting attacked by these balls of light or what have you, but they were being harassed a little bit, you know, like like I, I would I would be very frustrated if I was somebody who was flying a plane and I had this ball of of light just like following me and also not just following me making like it seems like like they were making intelligent maneuvers around them as well right. which 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 is a, a lot a lot of the uh, encounters that you had that's what was described you know like yeah like uh yeah exactly yeah. And well, not just frustrated, but a lot of them went on to interviews and whatever, and specifically said they were scared shitless because they didn't know if these things were going to blow them out of the sky or what was happening. Yeah, none of them were actually hostile, though. None of them made any hostile maneuvers. They seemed kind of playful, if anything. Yeah, and there was a lot of fear at the time of this being a secret, like Nazi weapon, you know? Like yeah, some kind of like higher level technology that the Nazis were were using. Because also at the same time, you had like stuff like the V two rocket, for example, that had just like been put into use. You know, and that is something that is is you know it it traveled faster than the speed of sound. You know what I mean? Which which obviously like like I don't think that's what we're what those people were experiencing because 
it wouldn't have had the same mannerisms, I guess you could say, right? Like it wouldn't have acted the way that they're describing if it was a V2 rocket. A V2 rocket is going to go from point A to point B, you know, like, like it's going to, and, and it, it, it was very advanced for the time, you know, but like, as a matter of fact, I think if I'm not mistaken, I think the V2 rocket was the first man-made object that ever made it into space. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Am I right? Yeah. I, I think I'm well, hearing that, yeah. Just think about it. In the early 1900s, we were barely just starting to think about flying. We could barely do it. You know, and then all of a sudden, by yeah. the... By the 1940s, just a few decades later, now we're se we're sending yeah. stuff into space. But it was the Germans. So the Germans had technology that seemed like science fiction to the rest of the world. And that's why people yeah. thought it was plausible that these objects were some sort of German technology. Because why not? They had things like the V2 rocket. They had a rocket-powered uh -huh. airplane, which I'll talk about a little bit in a little bit. And mm. pe people were seeing these wondrous machines that the Germans were building. And they probably thought that they were capable of just about anything. Yeah, they knew they knew that the Germans were very capable. They were very sophisticated as far as the technology that they were putting out and, and implementing, you know. So they were worried about what if they are more capable than we think they are, you know what I mean? So a, a lot of the first uh, encounters with the quote-unquote Foo Fighters or what have you, as they're described now, they thought this was like German technology. And actually, some some pilots called it uh, a Kraut fireballs. Yes, <laughs> that that was like one of the one of the one of the descriptions for for these uh, objects that they were encountering, because they thought like this has to be German technology or something, you know, right? Like like they, they didn't know what the hell that, that they were experiencing. So like like that was one of the descriptions early on was a Kraut fireball. <laughs> Sounds yummy. I I, I so, find that funny. Sounds kind of like <laughs> sounds like a spicy sour, German meatball, like sauerkraut. Or, yeah, no, no, a spicy German <laughs> meatball or something. Sounds delicious. Oh, <laughs> oh boy, yeah, dude, I love a meatball sandwich myself. I, I don't know if Germans even have Parmesan, meatballs. You know what I mean? If they did, I'm sure they'd be tasty. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but that's what that's what that reminded me of. Yeah. But anyways, <laughs> back back to Foo Fighters, dude. Yeah, back to Foo Fighters. All right. One item that I wanted to just kind of throw out there, a lot of people semi sort of speculate that the detonation of the nuclear bomb could have caught the attention of, you know, yeah. aliens out there and brought them to us. But well, also the V2 rocket entering space, you know, right. Like that that yeah. could have also caught the attention of aliens, you know. But the first nuclear detonation wasn't until July 16th, 1945, and that was codenamed Trinity. The Manhattan Project itself began in 1942. So these Foo Fighters were actually seen as early as 1940. So probably, unless yeah. it sends some kind of particle back in time, uh, probably the, the if they were aliens, they weren't here because of nuclear detonations. There's something else that caught their uh -huh. attention. Like, you know, maybe us fighting each other. Who knows? I don't know. Mm -hmm. But the, the earliest sighting of a Foo Fighter that I found a record of or mention of was August 11th, 1940 from the Royal Air Force. But um, mm -hmm. I couldn't find a whole lot of detail on that one. Unfortunately, I just saw that there was a sighting on that day. It didn't, that's, that's pretty much all I was able to find on it. The second one that I found was 1941. And I don't know if this is earlier, like if there's more like uh, sightings before this, but uh, it was a Polish ship um, that was uh, transporting British troops, I think. Um, and, uh, they were in the Indian ocean. Like, so, so like, it, it's kind of funny, like these sightings, 
they actually are like there's a lot of sightings across the world at this time. It wasn't just in, it wasn't just like around Europe. There was also sightings in, in the Pacific um, uh, area as well. You know, but but those sightings were described a little bit differently. Like they, they mostly from what I saw. Um, like when when these objects were uh, sighted in the Pacific Amphitheater, they were more stationary. Like they, they didn't necessarily follow like the like a, a pilot, you know, the whole way, whatever route that they were flying. You know what I mean? So it's a little bit different, but it's very similar though. Like like what they described as having seen was was very similar to to pilots in the European amphitheater or whatever, you know. Yeah, there but, um, there were there were both. There were stationary reports, but there were also reports from the Pacific Theater where they did follow the pilots around. And one interesting thing is they they used they used to think it was well at some point somebody caught some reports from the Germans and Japanese they were also seeing these things so I I don't know if I don't know if that was after the war that they interviewed pilots or if an intelligence service was able to intercept that during the war um, there this is going to be very difficult to find like an official report from a Japanese source from World War II that would take some real specialist knowledge. So I'm not sure about the details of that, but at some point we did become aware that of people that. didn't survive. Yeah. Know? Might not have, <laughs> but yeah. So at some no, point we became but, aware that the enemies were seeing these things too, which kind of meant that, Hmm, I guess it's not some kind right. of Nazi super weapon. And not yeah. only that, but after the, after we defeated them and you know, the Western powers defeated the, the access of evil or, you know, however you want to call it, uh, they occupied all these places and they, they pretty much rummaged and pillaged all of their knowledge that we could, that they could get their hands on. And there was not a yeah. trace of anything found that could explain these sightings at all. They like, supported it. Nothing. Yeah. Not well, anything. Even, even like, uh, even like the, the German bell, what was it called? Like, um, uh, what the hell was it called? You yeah, know, that, that, the, that the German bell shaped, the German bell. I mean, the, yeah. what was it called though? Like in, in like Dash Glockenstein or something. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, that's don't know. It. Uh, I forget what it was. I forget what it was. Was that what? It, oh, that's what it was, right? Okay. Die Glocke, yeah. which is German so for that, the bell. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so even that, even that itself, everything that, because we found the research facility in which that was housed and we found the German bell, like that has been documented. Like we found it, like, but it didn't seem like it was in production, even though like some people claimed it, like there was like, like, like upwards of like 10 prototypes that were developed of Diglaka, you know? Um, I don't necessarily believe that because the one we did find that is like documented was not even finished. Like it, like it didn't look like it was something that was like, <sighs> in production you know what i mean it, it didn't look like it was it was ready for any cap any, any type of like a like like it wasn't ready even for like a test flight you know what i mean so i don't know if i believe that and maybe that might be misinformation too i don't know who knows right i don't know i wasn't there right so so that could be misinformation but also whatever evidence i have ever seen about that it doesn't seem like that was a device or a, a you know, a, a a plane or a drone, whatever it may have been, uh, that was in production. You know what I mean? That was that was definitely obviously, you know, um, a technology that they were they were 
trying to produce, but they didn't get there. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, as far as everything I've seen, I don't think they got there yet. They were trying to, but they didn't. You know what I mean? Yeah, that would be a fun episode to do in the future. Is something on Die Glocke. It's it's a pretty yeah. it's a pretty prominent topic in you know in UFO circles. So a lot of people think that it was real and that it did yeah. something crazy, perhaps time travel or multidimensional travel or something like that. But uh, we'll maybe talk yeah. about that mm. at some you know some maybe. point in the future. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so this story actually was so people were seeing this uh for years and you know as the as I said earlier the guy who coined the term foo fighter Donald Myers when he coined that during his debriefing that, so there weren't that many official reports people didn't necessarily report these things maybe they were afraid to as is often the case with UFOs but when he reported it he said it's another one of those fucking Foo Fighters. So this those was not fucking the first Foo one. Fighters. Yeah. This was not the first <laughs> one that he'd ever seen. And yeah. that suggests that pretty much everybody had been seeing these things for a while, probably yeah. for years. You know, if you if you dig through all the reports, you you can see uh, through interviews, you know, people interviewed war veterans and stuff that they'd been seeing these things since the early forties yeah. on a regular basis, even if we don't have official government reports saying that they did. So we, they, they had been seeing these things for a very long time, but it didn't hit the public until an AP reporter named Bob Wilson went to the 415th base outside of Dijon, France to investigate the story. he caught wind of it and he this was a story, I believe it was released either late 1944 or early uh, early 1945. I think this, the story was what, probably like released what in I saw December. Was no, November. Oh, no, oh, December. Uh, what, what I yeah, saw he was went, no, November of 1944. Yeah, I think he went in November. That's when he went there to investigate. Oh, okay. But I'm not okay. sure. When, his story probably came out in December or something, but... Basically, around January 1945, let's say, a lot of publications around the world started to report on these things, and that's when it became publicly known to people outside of the military, and that's when it became, you know, kind of a big deal. And we still, it's still kind of, people know about these, it's not like, you know, Roswell or anything like that, but uh, it is some, one of the, one of the more prominent UFO cases that a lot of people have heard of. You know, especially yeah. especially musicians, apparently. <laughs> yeah, but, well, especially during that time period too. You know, like the, there were these there there were these type of like uh, incidents in, that were reported around the world. It, it wasn't just Europe. You know, like 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 I said before, and I find that very interesting. Something was happening. I don't. I couldn't tell you what, but something was happening. And I think, like my opinion is. I kind of fall along the lines of aliens being there interacting with us and also like, like paying attention to us. I think that's what they were doing. You know what I mean? Like, I think they were paying attention to us and, and they weren't interacting with us directly, but they were right there. They were letting us know also we're, we're right here. You're like watching you, you know what I mean? Like because of what you guys are doing, you know what I mean? I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm, I I could definitely be wrong. There's no doubt about that, obviously. <laughs> but I, I, this is the the sentiment that I kind of get because I don't know how else to explain it. You know what I mean? I, like, if this is a real thing, is well, because I know. All right, so 
at the same time, like the way that this these uh, encounters have been described, like sometimes they'll say, you know, it's a, uh, oh, you know, it's ice on on a, um, the windshield of a plane being like it, there's light being refracted th- through the light, you know, or through the ice. I'm sorry, um, and and that's what these uh, pilots are reporting. No, no, dude, no, that that's not what I hear when I when I hear all these different like uh, descriptions of these encounters. These descriptions, these encounters wouldn't be so well described, <laughs> you know, if if it was just a, a light shining through a piece of ice on the windshield, like like th- that's not what these pilots are describing. You know what I mean? They're describing objects that are intelligently maneuvering around them. You know what I mean? So it's not just light refraction and it's also not um like saint El- saint elmo's fire or like uh electromagnetic phenomena what have you you know what i mean i don't think it's that which is uh i i don't think we've gotten into this yet but after the war there was the robertson panel that did do some investigations into this which i actually i still i find kind of interesting because it was after the war and they still decided to do some investigations, uh, uh, you know, w- with this. So it must have been something they were they were still very interested in. You know what I mean? They put the effort towards it. You know what I mean? So I don't know. Like, like there must have been something. You know, <laughs> it must. Yeah, something was happening there. I couldn't tell you what, but there's a number of possibilities. So, yeah, for example, one thing that they thought it was at first. They uh, people in the military pilots or airmen seeing this thought that it could be the sightings could be due to the Messerschmitt Me one sixty three Comet rocket powered interceptors. Now these were revolutionary jet, not jet, but rocket the the only rocket powered aircraft rocket powered in in history. These things were way ahead of their time. Um, I looked up some specifications to see. Okay, is it possible that these could have caused some of these sightings? Because there's such a wide variety of witness testimony for these Foo Fighters that I believe it's very possible that some of them could be due to something terrestrial or something mundane, and some of them could be something extraordinary. But we have to look at what was, you know, what was in the air at that time to see if it could have caused the sightings. So the Messerschmitt 163 was the first aircraft to exceed 620 miles an hour. And I think it eventually went up to 700, and its its speed record would not be broken until the early 50s. But it could also reach 39,000 feet within 3.3 minutes and 45 seconds. So it, it would... Impressive. It would take off, and it would get up to altitude <laughs> like that, just like, the you know, boom, it's there. Yeah. Now, the bomber runs, I looked this up as well because you got to know, okay, well, where are we seeing these things? At what altitude are they flying? In general, the squadrons that would fly over Germany to bomb stuff would be going at about 30,000 feet when they flew in. Now, this is Mm -hmm. back in the day before they had a ton of like pressurized cabins or at least really good pressurized cabins. Yeah. So they were limited. None of the bombers were pressurized or pressurized, whatever. Oh, no, they were were definitely pressurized at 30,000 feet, but the... They were mostly well. No, they were all piston driven. So there was a there was yeah. a well, service the, the engines. Yeah, 
they couldn't go as high. Like nowadays, we probably have bombers that are, you know, practically in space that can drop a bomb or something. But back then, 30,000 feet was the limit. They wanted to be as high as possible because it's harder to hit when you're way up there with like anti-aircraft fire and stuff, right? Yeah. So anyways, the, the Messerschmitt, there was only about 300 of them built. And it, despite its superior performance, uh, was actually not that great of a weapon of war because you couldn't really control the throttle that much on them. They went either, either they were parked or they were going really fucking fast. <laughs> so what they would do is, is they would zoom up towards the bomber formations at 30,000 feet. They would shoot on the way up. They would get to 40,000 feet. And then they would dive through the formation again, fire again, hoping to hit something. And then they would run out of gas and then, or, you know, rocket fuel. Then they would glide down to the airfield and they almost never hit anything because they had such a small window to do so. Um, They couldn't really dogfight because they would pass whatever they were trying to dogfight with so quickly. And they didn't really have fuel to dogfight anyways, because, you know, they had such a short window after they took off where they could stay in the air. So what ended up happening is the allies kind of noticed this. And once they, they would just wait for them to start gliding down and they would either shoot them out of the air while they were gliding back to base or just follow them back to base and just shoot the heck out of the base. So (laughs) they, they did shoot down a few bombers, but they were overall, they were very ineffective and more people died testing and training on these things than they, than they actually were able to kill uh, targets with. So they, they were completely ineffective. And if you look at the witness descriptions of Foo Fighters, these things definitely could not have caused these sightings because they went up, yeah, they came down, and they, they were very fast, and that was it. The Foo Fighters would keep pace. They would follow either behind or to the side of an airplane, and sometimes in formation with other airplanes, mm-hmm. and they would follow and pace them at, let's say, 200 miles an hour, these these rocket ships, the you know the Messerschmitts could not go 200 miles an hour. That was way too slow for these things. So mm-hmm. you could say that perhaps some of the sightings could have been due to these. But the problem is they didn't actually fly the Messerschmitts at night, only during the day. So yeah, it, it's it's a bit of a stretch to say, unfortunately, that these were. It's unfortunately a bit of a stretch to say these could have caused some of the sightings. I suppose it's possible that the Germans sent some of them up at night. But I find it very unlikely that even one of the sightings was due to these things. But it was exciting at first because I thought, well, yeah, what if it really was these things? I mean, a rocket would be glowing at night and, you know, could very well be interesting looking. But nope, that one is a uh, pure dead end. What it, you know, what it almost seems like is if there was an extraterrestrial intelligence watching our planet and then we had this massive war they would send out probes that perhaps were either AI controlled or remotely controlled or who knows what. And those probes are sort of scouting out our capabilities and just kind of, you know, a little poking at us to see, okay, what can these things actually do? Let's just, we got to make sure that they're not too close to getting off the planet and uh, being able to find us because look how they're treating each other, you know? (laughs) So I found an article from Time Magazine from January 15th 1945. And this is the kind of stuff I like to look at rather than read like an article somebody else wrote. I I like to go to the source material as closely as possible. So this was a fun little article. It was pretty short 
And uh, this article takes the stance that these things were probably uh, a, a secret weapon of some kind. So there's just a couple of quotes and things from the article. It was certainly the most puzzling secret weapon that Allied fighters had yet encountered. So they they think, in other words, people at the time, a lot of people thought it was some sort of, sort of weapon. They just didn't understand exactly what it was, why it was there, or what it was doing. What, if it wasn't blowing up planes, what was the purpose of this? Uh, balls of fire, which for more than a month have been following their planes at night over Germany. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, you know, another, sorry. Little, another little excerpt there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> their descriptions of the apparition varied, but they agreed that the mysterious flares stuck close to their planes and appeared to follow them at high speed for miles. One pilot said that a Foo Fighter, appearing as red balls off his wingtips... <laughs> Stuck with him until he <laughs> dove at 360 miles an hour. <laughs> you then, sinner. Uh, that's, that's, what, that's what happens when you use an epilady instead of a... <laughs> no, I'm Sometimes when you get too red hot, your balls get red too. You <laughs> yeah. know? It is one, what it is, you know. <laughs> one pilot said that a Foo Fighter... Oh, wait, I already read that one. <laughs> sorry, dude. I'm uh, so sorry. I didn't mean to. <laughs> <laughs> skeptical scientists dismissed the fireballs as an illusion perhaps an afterimage of light which remained in the pilot's eyes after they had been dazzled by flak bursts and you know obviously that's pretty silly uh some theories proposed by the article is uh are radio controlled something or others that uh were you know the they were like drones basically but the mm -hmm. article said that's pretty ridiculous because there's no way that a radio-controlled drone would be able to maneuver like these things. Uh, another one, that they were created by electrical induction of some sort, you know, such as like a sea animal's fire, or that they were attracted to the plane by some kind of magnetism. <laughs> okay, uh, probably not. Uh, all right, then. <laughs> and it's it speculated <laughs> that the use of these things was pro was possibly... Uh, to dazzle the pilots or as a psychological type weapon to serve as aiming points for anti-aircraft gunners. I mean, that's actually sounds plausible to interfere with the plane's radar, but I didn't see any witness statements saying that that was the case, that their radar was interfered with, but maybe I didn't see those particular reports and to cut a plane's ignition and thus stop its engine midair, which I also didn't see any reports of that. So those that was just that one little article, and you can look up a lot of articles from all over the world about these things. It's kind of fun just to see what reporters were discussing back then and you know speculating on. But uh, I only had time to look up just that one, unfortunately. So there were a couple of really specific sightings. Agent uh, ETA already mentioned um, one of those with the two sailors on the SS Pulaski that I had notes on. Uh, there's a couple other ones. Which, you know, is basically like, for example, in December 1942, Officer Brian Lumsden on a mission over northern France in December 1942 was followed by two amber colored lights. One was higher than the other, and they followed him until he reached the English Channel. Uh, the following night, a different pilot was followed by a green light. And there's, you know, there's a whole bunch of them like this where it's just like they're being followed by lights. There was an interesting one. Apparently, Senator Ted Stevens had a sighting when he was a pilot in the European theater. He said, I was flying and there was an object next to me. I couldn't get rid of it. I slowed up. It was there. I sped up. It was there. I would dive. It would be there. Uh, I called and there was nothing on radar. So that was just one little, one little sighting. 
There were other sightings during the war that I found that may or may not be related to the orbs. For example, on November 28, 1942, the crew of an aircraft from the 61st Squadron Royal Air Force saw a two to three hundred foot long craft with an estimated uh, with the width estimated to be about one fifth of its length, moving at 500 miles an hour. So, in other words, a cigar shaped craft. It had four pairs of red lights spaced equally along its body, and the object flew on a level course. Now, this was not the only sighting of a huge cigar-shaped craft during the times. There were a few others, and it kind of makes me wonder, is this maybe some kind of mothership that's launching these smaller probes to go investigate fighter squadrons or bomber squadrons? Yeah. But, I mean, it's... I like that idea. Yeah, it's just sort of weird, right? So, the... The, this particular sighting of this one, the crew saw it twice during their mission, once at 11,000 feet at 1040 in the, in the evening, traveling southeast, about the same height as the aircraft. And then the second sighting was about 1045, about five minutes later, at 14,000 feet, traveling west-southwest up a valley in the Alps below the level of the peaks. The lights, lights went out and the object disappeared from view. So the second one it saw was actually sounded like it was weaving in and out of the mountaintops. And I was wondering, was that maybe a separate craft? Maybe it was not the first one because the first one went away in a different direction. And the second one is sort of like checking out the mountains below them. And I also wonder, this description is really interesting to me. The lights went out and the object disappeared from view. That reminds me of what we've seen in an awful lot of these UFO reports where the UFO will basically be at a standstill and will accelerate to a great speed from a dead stop and then just kind of streak out of out of wherever it is and just go boom like that and it'll be over the horizon in the blink of an eye. I even found a sighting report where an orb entered an aircraft and entered a bomber and flew through the bomber. The entire crew saw it and then it left. And that report makes me wonder, along with the fact that there was no uh, reports that I saw where it, it triggered you, where the UFOs triggered radar, it makes me wonder if, what's going on with this? So how would it enter the ship? Um, if it was one of the Foo Fighters, then that really suggests that they are not like a physical object as we understand them. Perhaps they exist in a different spatial dimension than we can perceive, and that would allow them to get into the ship without blowing a hole through the, the side of the thing, right? So either that, or maybe it has some sort of phase-shifting technology, or who knows what. But it sort of, you know, sort of captures my imagination with that sighting, wondering, you know, if that is a Foo Fighter, then how did it get into that ship? What's it doing there? And I don't know. It, it clearly wasn't there to hurt anybody, because nobody got hurt. But it's still... It was just a really fascinating sighting that, to add on to some of the other ones that I found. Now, there are a couple of explanations. Some of them we've mentioned already, but some of these explanations, I believe, could explain some of the sightings. For example, there's what's known as the autokinetic effect, and this is where a point of light in the dark sky can appear to move even though it's stationary. And this is a real, this is a real thing. This has been proven and tested that if you have a point of light up in, well, in any sort of background, but we're talking about the night sky, 
it can appear that it's moving around because of the motion of your eyes, I believe is the explanation, but it's not. It, you just perceive it as moving. So that's a real thing. And I think that it's possible that that could be the explanation for some of the reports, especially once you know everybody started seeing these things and they became more common, then everybody's going to be on edge and looking for them all the time. So people might see a star and because of the relative motion of the airplane or the vibration of the airplane or who knows what else, I think it's very possible that some of these reports were caused by something like an autokinetic uh, kinetic effect. I don't think that that can account for all of the sightings, but I think it's entirely plausible that it accounted for some of them. Now, the next one I have is the St. Elmo's fire. This is probably the most common explanation given for the, uh, for the Foo Fighters, and it's probably one of the more plausible ones as far as skeptical explanations go. Now, a St. Elmo's fire is a luminous plasma that is created by a corona discharge from a rod-like object such as a ship's mast, a spire, a chimney, or an animal horn in an atmospheric electric field. This can also occur on the leading edges of airplanes, or if the airplane has any sort of antenna or anything else sticking out, or, you know, some wings at the, you know, some tail wings or whatever, anything sticking out, this can happen. St. Elmo's fire can also cause a buzzing or hissing sound. You can look up pictures of the St. Elmo's fire online, and I think it's plausible that if there was a ship in formation or an airplane in formation that was having this St. Elmo's fire, people seeing that aircraft might interpret it as being a Foo Fighter. But I don't think that this could account for all of the sightings, but it might account for some of them. It very well could account for some of them. Now, one of, one of the pictures that really caught my attention was a photograph of a helicopter that had St. Elmo's fire on its moving rotor. That lo- It looked really, really fucking weird. And I was like, dude, that if you saw that at night, you would think that that was a UFO, 100%. So I was like, okay, well, could this solve the case? Could these things be due to helicopters? I think I'm going to post a link in the description if I remember, because like I said, these look, these are really bizarre. They're actually pretty dang cool looking, but I think that, you know, if there were helicopters, but turns out it's really easy to look up because at the time there were barely any helicopters flying around at all. So the allies from as far as I could find pretty much just had one type of helicopter, which was the Sikorsky R4, R5 and R6 helicopters that's pretty much all they had during World War II. And there was about 400 of them produced during World War II. Now, I looked up some of the specifications for these. The R4 had a service ceiling of 8,000 feet, the R5 of 14,400 feet, and the R6 of 10,000 feet. Now, let's look at the R5. It's 14,400 feet. And I saw reports that it may have gone as high as 21,000 feet. But the problem, so 21,000 feet, first of all, that's not really high enough to cause a Foo Fighter sighting at 30,000 feet. And it only had a maximum speed of 125 miles an hour and a maximum range of 360 miles. So in other words, unfortunately, they're too slow, they're too low flying, and the range is far, far too short because we're talking about bombing runs 
that you know long range bombing runs a helicopter with 360 miles now we're talking you have to have that to get because they can only go that far out and then they have to come back in so we're talking about you know bombing missions that were going much farther than that so it's unlikely you know based on those three parameters that this particular helicopter could have caused these sightings unfortunately but the germans had helicopters as well there were two that they were able to have flying uh, there's one which is a Flettner 282. Only 24 were built, and it had a 10,800 foot service feeling, feeling ceiling, <laughs> 10,800 foot service ceiling, uh, and a max speed of 93 miles an hour. Now this one had an interesting design. It didn't even really have a cockpit. The pilot was just kind of hanging out there. You know, there was no canopy or anything. They're just sitting out there in the air. And, uh, I, man, these pilots must have some cojones because I would yeah. crap my pants. <laughs> I yes. just, just Google this thing, a Flettner FL 282, Google a picture of that. Nope. No, thank you. I'm not going anywhere near that damn thing, especially mm-hmm. not 10,000 feet up in the air. Uh, uh-uh. yeah. I go just on a roller nope. coaster. I go on a roller coaster that's 150 feet up in the air and I'm crapping my pants, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. 10,000 feet. No thanks. Anyways, these things had a max speed of 93 miles an hour. Now they had another helicopter, a Falk Arch Jealous or A R C H G E L I S. Oh fuck. Yeah, pretty much. Uh two two three. <laughs> Only twenty of these things were ever built. It had a ceiling of twenty-three thousand three hundred feet. And uh well, that was the maximum height that I could find, but the service ceiling was fifteen thousand nine hundred ninety-four. I, I also read by the way that like they're like one of the nicknames for that that helicopter was oh fuck. Yeah. Like, oh, f- oh fuck. <laughs> right. <laughs> and this thing only had a top speed of 109 miles an hour. Um, and it had, it had a range of 430 miles an hour. And since a lot of these were seen over enemy territory, the Foo Fighters anyways, were seen over ter- enemy territory, uh, based on the range, these things could cause the sightings, but the altitude is not quite high enough. The speed is definitely not high enough, but that being said, just looking at just how fucking weird St. Elmo's fire looks on a helicopter. I think it is possible that some sightings could have been caused by helicopters with San Elmo's fire on their rotors and take a look at the pictures and you'll see what I mean. And you'll, if you disagree with me, let me know. But, um, I think it's entirely plausible that these things did cause UFO sightings, particularly back in the day when people were not as used to seeing helicopters flying around the skies. But unfortunately, since these things were sightings of the Foo Fighters were so incredibly widespread and helicopters were not, there were barely any helicopters flying around, you know, just a few hundred, let's say total 500 helicopters in the entirety of World War II were flying around. There's no way that these sightings could have all been caused by helicopters, unfortunately. But when I saw that, when I saw that picture at first, I was like, wait, hold on. What if this could be it? You know, but when I looked up the performance, the performance numbers of helicopters, unfortunately, it's not the case, which is kind of a good thing because it would be a bummer to solve the case. And it's something as mundane as a helicopter, but it still would be an exciting thing if you could solve it, right? After all these years, you could come up with something that was a plausible explanation for the sightings. That would be pretty exciting, even if it was something as boring as a helicopter. So we've talked about pretty much all of the other ones, you know, either some kind of weapon or light light reflecting off of ice crystals or ball lightning or whatever, but uh, nothing really 
explains it. I mean, there's there's really no yeah. plausible explanation for what could have caused these sightings. And, you know, we, we could speculate that they were extraterrestrial craft, but it, at the end of the day, we just don't know. We have no proof that that's the case. It's well, only, that's can, what I'm, I'm, that's what I'm choosing to, to explain this yeah. with. I, like, I don't, I don't think, like I said before, uh, the way in which these objects were moving, it seems to be too intelligent to not be something that was intelligently designed. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's, so, that's one possible explanation and I think is plausible, but we don't know for, my opinion is we don't know for sure. It's just one, one possible explanation no, out no. of many. No, no, it was aliens. <laughs> All right, you heard it here, folks. Breaking news. <laughs> it was aliens. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, well, everybody. If I, only we had ether here. Yeah, I know, right? That's okay. So that's <laughs> maybe about. She, maybe she could bring some reason to the conversation. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, she. Unfortunately, she couldn't make it this week. Hopefully, she can join us for next week. Uh, she'll yeah, be able to be start next week. joining us regularly, but she started a new job recently. So she's kind of busy taking care of that kind of stuff. But all right. So that's about all I had on Foo Fighters. Did you have any notes that you didn't mention yet, Aging ETA? Uh, nope. Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you could really help us out by checking out the affiliate link in the description. This week, we're taking a look at Alien T-Shirts. Did you want an alien on your t-shirt? I knew you did. Well, if you look at the link, you'll find some really cool shirts they have. One of the shirts is a button-up, uh, black and green, has little green alien heads on it. I actually have this one in my closet. It's a pretty cool shirt. They have a whole bunch to choose from, so take a look. Your purchase helps out the show, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. And normally Ether will say, keep it strange, but she ain't here, so I'm going to have to say, keep it strange. <laughs>